Hello everybody, welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige film. Today we're talking about the 1966 American epic war film, The Sand Pebbles. It was directed by Robert Wise, who directed the musicals West Side Story and The Sound of Music. Uh, interestingly enough, the production on this film is legendarily difficult. It's a real Apocalypse Now type situation. And uh, the only reason the sound of music got made is because there were so many delays in the filmmaking. The producers of the film wanted to recoup their costs, and they kind of strong-armed Wise into directing it. Later, of course, became one of the most acclaimed musicals of all time. He also directed The Adronomous Strain and Star Trek The Motion Picture. What an amazing wow. run of grounded work in, in sci-fi fantasy. Also, Jim, Native Hoosier. Hoosier, rather. Hoosier. It's from Winchester, Indiana. Uh, screenplay by Robert Anderson based on the novel The Sand Pebbles, written in 1962 by Robert McKenna, uh, a U.S. sailor about his experiences in the U.S.'s Brownwater Navy, apparently. Um, and it stars the great Steve McQueen. Uh, we recently saw him in The Great Escape. He also stars in Magnificent Seven and Bullet, among others. Richard Attenborough. Uh, we also saw him with Steve McQueen in The Great Escape, and he was Hammond, Mr. Hammond in Jurassic Park, probably most famous for uh, peeps in our generation. Mm -hmm. Stars Richard Crenna as the captain. He was the colonel in the first three Rambo movies. You'll probably recognize him. Of course him. he is. Yes. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's one of the things I know that face. Uh -huh. I know that. Oh, right. Uh, also stars Candace Bergen, who was Murphy Brown. She also had a recurring role in Boston Legal. Uh, Marriott Adriane. Uh, so this, she has a very interesting and intriguing backstory where her husband ghost wrote a whole series of erotic novels under her name. And her and her husband founded some kind of libertine sex cult in France. It's insane. I didn't have that time to do as much research uh, as I wanted to it. But she's she's primarily known for this role. And also, Mako M uh, Iwamatsu. This guy is kind of legendary in Hollywood. He got an Academy Award nomination for his uh, performance in this this movie as one of the Chinese laborers that was doing the majority of the work on this American warship. Uh, but you might know him as Akira the Wizard in Conan the o uh, Barbarian. He also was in Seven Years in Tibet, the Brad... Pitt uh, version of that and uh, if you're an Avatar The Last Airbender fan he played Uncle Eero for the first two seasons until he passed away of esophageal cancer and uh, hmm. but yeah he was a big uh, I guess he played the big bad evil dragon in Samurai Jack too is that Aku? Oh, I couldn't um, tell you Aku couldn't tell you this is, uh, this is a movie that was uh, commissioned by Mark C and uh, should I read his thoughts about it before we talk about our thoughts or do we want to uh, talk? Yeah, may maybe that'd be nice. Okay. Mark, Mark C. Take it away. He says, cause obviously it started with the negotiation of, you know, I want to commission a podcast, want to do this movie. And I, we told us like, I'd never even heard of this movie before. And he says, I'm not surprised you haven't heard of this movie. It appears to have fallen off the radar of younger cinephiles, which is one of the reasons I opted to commission it. It was very popular in the late 60s throughout the 70s. It won multiple awards in the 1967. is in a roadshow format. One of the most financially successful films of the year. It's commonly on television thereafter. I heard you and Jim talk about you wanting to fill your McQueen holes and thought this was an essential film for that goal, as was McQueen's only Academy Award nomination. You'll find a wealth of supporting actors who later 
appeared in movies you have or you are familiar with Rambo, Jurassic Park, Blade Runner, The Night Stalker, uh, etc., as well as other actors who went on to star in TV shows, which you are likely familiar with Murphy Brown, Mary Tyler Moore, The Love Boat. Uh, if you read about one of the stars, Mariette Adrienne, who we just talked about, you may have your minds blown. The Sand Pebbles has a notoriously storied production history with Apocalypse Now level setbacks. The movie was based on a, ro- a novel written by a retired career sailor who died soon after its publication and before the movie's production. Um, it's a superb book, even more amazing that was the man's only novel. It always reminds me of Moby Dick with regards to its level of detail and the doomed characters. Many fans believe that the movie's controversies, uh, controversial parallels to the U.S. emerging involvement in Vietnam was one of the reasons it was snubbed at the awards. Though it lives on as one of my favorite movies, I realize much of it has not aged well. Some of the acting choices and facial expressions and gestures seem stiff or cartoonishly exaggerated. There's an exploding squib during a critical scene that's so obvious as to slap you in the face. The soap operatic love story of Frenchie and Maylie brings the pacing to a screeching halt. McQueen's own love interest screams of a shoehorn. However, when I saw it with my uh, family in the theater in age at, or at, in 1967 at age eight, it beguiled me and its impact has stayed with me ever since. Some of the shots are stunning, particularly when you take into consideration there was no CG at the time. The hand-to-hand combat seems awkwardly raw and authentic. The music is lush. And of course, McQueen's depiction of the brooding, reluctant hero is haunting. All things considered, I think the movie is a faithful adaptation of the book. The modifications do not dilute the core themes. The brutal, uh, for example, the brutal exploitation inherent in colonialism, uh, the individual struggle against institutional conformity, etc. The book, there's no romance between Jake and the missionary portrayed by Candace Bergen. Also, in the novel, Jake is not as self-possessed as McQueen. Instead, in the book, he's a bit of more of a clueless pawn. The 1960s welcome our audiences welcome the roadshow movie theater uh, spectacle in a time when the alternatives were reruns of Green Acres and Petticoat Junction. The allure of such spectacles were evident even in 1970s when the Sand Pebbles would be played every year on television in two parts during a Thursday and Friday 9 p.m. time slot. Always the high ratings. I know you'll have your criticisms, but I also know you'll give it an intelligent discussion. One question I'd ask you to consider is the concept of McQueen as an actor. Is he a movie star? More of a screen presence, uh, all of the above. Who, if anyone, fills his shoes currently? He's got a lot more thoughts, but I thought we'd take it there. You know, you commission a podcast, you put your money, you take your chances on a movie we haven't seen. Uh, we always give people the option when we've seen the movie to for us to bail uh, and and get half credit towards something else or get a partial refund. Uh, and unfortunately, this is one of those movies where you and I both, I think put our heads together and like, ah, boy, I'm not sure we're getting a hundred percent of this film. Uh, but what did you think? I assume you saw this for the first time. What did you think of the sand pebbles and Steve McQueen? Well, I'm glad you read Mark's thoughts first because it gives me kind of an inroad to talk about the things that I think this movie does fairly well. And that is the larger scale sort of meta about war and colonialism and uh just you know nation building king making all that kind of stuff that happens uh through america's worldview and i think the movie does a pretty good job with that stuff what i think it fails at is being a compelling or entertaining narrative um so much of this movie i 
I just don't think I understand. I, I found myself constantly thinking, okay, well, the next scene or, or something you know else in this movie is going to make this part of it make sense, and it kind of never did. I I get to the parts where the captain starts making decisions about what the boat's going to do um, as war starts to like really break out. And I don't understand his decisions. Uh, the crew starts to revolt and I don't understand what stops that. Um, I don't understand what Frenchie's whole story has to do with any of the other stuff this movie is trying to do really. Um and there's those parts of the movie confound and confuse me. Yeah. So it, ultimately, I came away from this going, I get what it's trying to say. I just don't think I like any of the way that it was trying to say it. And that's the thing. It's like, I just don't know. You know, I know enough about this time period to be dangerous and mostly into like, you know, what came before it and what's going to come after it. Um Sure, you know, sure. this 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 struggle between the Chinese nationalists and the Bolsheviks are going to continue to rage through World War Two, as far as I understand, until the, the, the communists decisively win in the in the in the late 40s, early 50s. Hmm, okay. So it's like this is going to be a longstanding kind of like civil reorganization where China was famously this ancient country that had this remarkable internal consistency uh that then was overthrown by the rapid mechanization and like, you know, that this, the China had withdrawn from the world stage for uh, over a hundred years. And then suddenly uh, the so-called great powers showed up with steam boats and large cannons and artillery and just cowed the whole country into submission. And they carved it up uh, as they saw fit. And this is China of like trying to recover from that foreign interference and whether they're going to, you know, adopt, you know, tenets of socialism, communism, where they're going to embrace free trade and capitalism. And the thing is, is like those are all on the surface things that the show is dealing with. But mm -hmm. there's also a layer of like clearly I'm I'm picking up what Mark is talking about. This being a lot of commentary about the v, uh, the America America being entangled in Vietnam. Totally. Which yeah. is another, you know, colonial system that, you know, we're getting embroiled that we got embroiled into and defending. And uh, this is a tale of like a system that feels so stable that you're on the top and nothing bad can happen. And then you piss off enough of the people and suddenly people in small wooden boats, if there's enough of them, can threaten the existence of a mighty gunboat, you know, Um mm -hmm. And how but information so control and and narrative plays so much of a part of that. And how colonialism, I, I think the, one of the things is like it's bad for everyone. It's bad yeah. for the people being colonized, obviously, but it also kind of makes the colonials lazy and myopic and short-sighted, you know, like... Yeah, is it a good idea to, to 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 turn over all vital functions of your ship into local laborers and all you do is just do the pretty mm -hmm. drilling and and you still have control of the guns but like at the end of the day can you even you know it's like there's a a, a lot of that how it kind of but like again I kept on as I as they were holding these things up for my comment I'm like mm -hmm. I don't have the cultural knowledge to even know what side of the movie or what 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 side of things the movie is on, let alone what, how I feel about it in conjunction. Like so much of the stuff involving like the romances in this movie just seemed awful. 
so much like there is so much racial like hatred and superiority mm-hmm. in especially the early goings of this movie that it kind of takes your breath away like the amount of slurs and <laughs> you yeah know, so the slurs per minute is up there like quentin tarantino <laughs> it's just a lot of old archaic deprecated asian american ones that we have or yeah i guess that we haven't heard in, in a while to, to, to the point where i'm I, I am a little uh reluctant to say characters quote-unquote names in this movie because i don't know if they're meant to be the names of characters or a slur for that character right it's like uh, one of the one of the characters in Mark Twain's uh, Huckleberry Finn <laughs> right. is literally inward Jim. Uh huh. Uh huh. That's apparently the man's name and also a, ha- a terrible slur. So it's like, yeah, it's like God even knows. God even knows what these these characters because we're not getting their names for themselves. We're getting what the Americans are calling people that they clearly don't respect as people or individuals. Yeah, I think this is a hard movie to decipher for a lot of the the reasons you were talking about how it's not it's not clear right but uh, like the there's this term they keep using or this phrase like it's his rice bowl um Mm. and that kind of muddies the waters on whether or not it's a good thing that the americans are here right because in i think the context there is that they're providing jobs for these people right who are you know, by all rights, very poor and and need uh, really depend on the jobs that the American gunboats are providing them. Yeah. And yet we shouldn't be there in the first place, I think, is the message of this movie. So or it's like, is that a fair very... trade? Do you, sure, do you sure. trade everything about your culture that you hold dear for a, a stable job, schools, power? Right. And like, is that is stable that... for the, the people who've hired them? Like, th- it so muddies the waters on all of this stuff. I think intentionally that I Especially since it's not like the people voted. Confused. It's not like all the, the the Chinese people got together and like, do we want to, uh, right. you know, get rid of all of our cultures and our traditions in exchange for money? It's, it's, it was something entirely forced upon them. You know, mm-hmm. at, at literal gunpoint. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't know. I I find the movie hard to decipher because it is going so nuanced right. with his exploration of these these things i wish there was more focus to this movie i guess it's a three-hour yeah. movie that does not need to be three hours in my opinion uh you could have completely annexed entire characters and plots in this film and gotten just as much out of it from its core thesis we'll be right back with more bald move after this brief pause Here's what's new and premium content for our club members. No lunch this week, as I'll be traveling on vacation, but get ready for next week when we have the rare, elusive, dare I say premium lunch with Talitha and Aaron. And while you're waiting for the return of the king, don't forget May is the time to switch your Patreon tiers to make sure you maintain your full benefits by June. Stop by support.ballmove.com to check your Patreon levels to see the new benefits and decide which one is right for you. And finally, tickets are now on sale for Badass Fest 6. Come meet us live and in person, watch a mystery badass film with us, and then hear us record the podcast right there in front of you in a theater packed with Bald Move fans. Get your details and your tickets at baldmove.com slash live. If you want more Bald Move in your life, head over to support.baldmove.com right now to find out how you can get tons of bonus audio and video content plus ad-free feeds. 
And now, back with more Bald Move. Yeah, especially but, like the one the one that really sticks out is the core romance between Candace Bergman and Steve McQueen. They're both beautiful people. Oh, you think they that's the one? Chemistry. To me, it was well, Frenchy. I want to talk about that because I think that actually has a storytelling purpose. Okay. Whereas mm-hmm. like the Candace uh, Steve stuff just is in there because he's a leading man and she's a leading lady. Sure, and, sure. Like it literally feels like why are they together? Because there's a director with a megaphone shouting at Candace Bergen, make moon eyes at him. Mm-hmm. Moonier. Moonier. It's like there's <laughs> like they just meet at this boat and she instantly just kind of falls in love because he's Steve fucking McQueen, which look fair yeah. enough. But like it's it's kind of like it's just yeah it's 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 uh they didn't know what else to do and there's already a labored love sequence in this whole thing with Attenborough and Frenchie, but I think that that yeah, has none, a narrative of, purpose. I think that's yeah, supposed so to it's ahead. supposed to further uh, disillusion him with their objectives here, right? Is the, with the Frenchie stuff that like even a well-meaning person that's wanting to do good mm-hmm. with the general support of the person he's doing good with can't really because the system's yeah. fucked up. You can't mm-hmm. like all the goodwill and the, you can't, uh, you know, it's just like, like you can't make the boat run at 12 knots because the yeah, system's fucked up just like the workers buy, get killed because the system's fucked up. Right? right. You can't buy someone out of sexual slavery like you can. But even if you did, it's like you haven't solved the problem. The problem is like there's mm-hmm. sexual slavery going on here and you're, you you use the system to liberate one individual. But you're also making that system stronger and like the perils of doing that. And like I said, not, a lot of that stuff doesn't work, but I think it's what they were trying to do with the Frenchie Maley situation. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And also to show that the, she was caught between, again, well-meaning missionaries, white mm-hmm. Christian missionaries adopted her, raised her as an American. Then they died. And now she's in this precarious state where she's not an American, so she can't get a protection by the American Navy. Uh, and she's not embraced by the Chinese as you know she's the face she 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 dances with the oppressor in their mind so like mm-hmm. there is no kind of salvation for any of these people and I, I think that's the point but holy shit yeah it's uh it's, it's a lot to go through to make that point when that point is being made at multiple levels that's the thing yeah and I feel like that like um the Rosetta Stone for understanding all the politics is just everything that happens on the boat. Like you have to think everything mm-hmm. is happening on the boat. And I, I read an article going over the novel, and I think this is deliberate that like everything that happens on the boat is a microcosm of everything that's happening in colonial China. Yeah, at the macro you scale, know, totally. The the fact that you know you've got this reliance on foreign investment and reliance on native labor. And to like the detriment of both the parties. And now there's a change in social order where, you know, the the people are tired of being uh, led by these corrupt warlords who are playing footsie with the great Western powers. And it's yeah, like you, you kind of you, you can kind of see the ebb and flow of the, the country around it just based on the relationship that the crew has with these workers and how that kind of develops and you know the 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 one crew member that pays the ultimate price is the one that you know the hero like recognizes as you have american potential essentially you've you, you, mm-hmm. unlike the rest of the chinese you've got a big brain and you can understand modern steam equipment and stuff and 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 he gets a huge like he 
gets a lot of he gains a lot of face. That's another concept. This movie is gaining and losing face. He gains a lot of face by that relationship he has with the 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 naval officers but then that's used against him when the whole country starts falling to nationalism bullshit because now he is again tied to the oppressor so right but yeah yeah it's it's a fairly complex movie um i I don't i don't want to say like it's a bad movie because i i think it conveys its points pretty effectively it just does so with a lot of extra baggage that I guess I didn't need. And it does so over the course of three hours, which didn't seem necessary to me. Yeah. And, and I, I just truly don't understand some of the things it's trying to say. Like I really want to talk about the scene, the mutiny scene or the, the near mutiny scene, because I in no way understand what happens in that scene. Okay, well, let's, maybe we can get to the where the people haven't seen yeah. this movie. We can give a little broad overview. Uh, boy, it's going to be a rough one because I'm going to broad overview a three-hour movie that I don't fully understand. But this is a <laughs> uh-huh. mo- this is a movie about Steve McQueen, who is a brilliant engineer and has served with the Blue Water Fleet his entire career, but has come to loggerheads because he essentially is a nonconformist. And he doesn't get along with the other people in the boat. So he transfers to the smaller ship that's part of a brown water navy that goes and patrols the interior rivers of China. And the whole point of these gunboats is they just literally go around and are so large and powerful and impressive that they cow the Chinese population by their mere presence. And... Steve McQueen is brilliant engineer is going to join this ship that has essentially pro- the, the farmed out all of the vital things that he's supposed to do in terms of engineering and upkeep and, and making the ship run and replaced it with Chinese labor. So like he doesn't really, it's, 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 it's like it's this fish out of water where he's used to this very spit and polish and highly, um, uh, what what do you call that? Highly specialized workforce in the Navy. And he goes to the ship and everyone is just parade officers. Uh, and all the real work is being done by these, Ch- these, these Chinese laborers right at a time mm-hmm. where China is about to throw off, try to throw off the shackles of uh, the great, the great, the so-called great powers and descend into civil war. that's going to last for decades. Uh, and there's going to be so much. I mean, my, my God, you got you know, China's going to invade him in 10 years. Or, I mean, sorry, Japan's going to invade him in 10 years. Uh, China's got a, a rocky road ahead ahead of it, um, mm-hmm. and it's about Steve McQueen trying to find his place in a world that values conformity and doesn't reward individualism and doesn't uh, like like his 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 being torn between duty and his principles. Uh, like his captain is a man who's obsessed with duty to the point that he maybe violates his principles, and is Steve McQueen going to do that? And, uh, yeah, where, where is he going to find a place for himself in the world? I will say this, um, that, you know, like I said, the flaws are like, it's hard to find for me anyway, the historical frame to which to analyze this film. And there is, you know, this is an older film and some of the editing choices and the performances are a lot stagier and old fashioned than you'd appreciate, but the cinematography Mm-hmm. Like they went on location and some of the scenes of like dawn on the river with the San Pablo and there's a scene of like them climbing this temple in a and on a mountain that overlooks all these interlocking rice paddies and it's just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um 
If you're a naval buff like me, I thought it was really fascinating to see the differences. Like this is like the the navy, like you know, well into the steam age, but pre World War II, and like to see like how many. Like I I, I just watched Master and Commander and Far Side of the World the weekend before I saw this. Um, and that movie takes place in 1820, and this movie takes place roughly 1920. And I was shocked at how similar, in a lot of ways, the Navy still behaved 100 years apart. You know, like you get <laughs> yeah, this yeah. idea, like especially in the end when there's this big action sequence where they take the boat in the war, there's a boarding action, and it's just like Jack and Steven, man. The grappling hooks, the guns, the, we- <laughs> the captain with the big-ass cavalry saber. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, I-, I like that, and the engineer stuff, like... That's what that it was, took. I could have done with another 20 minutes more of that and less romance in this movie because, yeah, I was interested in what it, what the engineering was all about in this. Yeah, the engineering romance is what they needed to cook. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the these guys the engine, work, baby. work with the live steam and the dead steam and just, like, what a process it was and, like, all these different safety interlocks and... Mm-hmm. And it's menacing. Every time a person would, like, get into this vast machinery... It was like a scary moment, yeah. uh, and uh, they build that. They build that. They they play that tension a lot. Um, but yeah, this is one of the this, the older films where I appreciate it and respect it intellectually for what it's accomplishing, but it didn't ever really touch my heart. Uh, I agree. Um, some of that was like confusion. I, I don't think the narrative is very strong. I don't think they connect scenes very well. I think. I I found myself always confused as to where we really were and what the consequences of any action would be. So like they, they say like at at some point in this movie, they leave where they were stationed. I I can't remember the name of the city um, that they were stationed at for most of this movie, but they leave it and they go somewhere else. And I'm thinking, okay, well they can't come back here. Uh, because like the war has started to break out or whatever and they're just not going to be able to come back here and then they end up back there and they end up going ashore and they end up sending individuals ashore and I'm like why are how is this even possible I mean the the nationalists here have rejected your presence entirely I don't understand how we got from the last scene where you told me shit's gone bad to this scene where everything seems kind of normal yeah, that you're still able to send a guy, just one guy short with your ship, your mail. When they your over entire army got walked out just to see. Yeah, you they, know, they right? shouldn't like, take it over a minute, but, but they're stated like, oh, we got to send the, the order packet to the embassy. What fucking embassy? They tore down the old glory. I don't think you got an embassy. It's like, right, so there's a, a lot flag of. Up. There's not, it's not your so embassy. There must have been a lot of material in the novel about the. The pre, like, like they worked out something with the nationalists and the communists. It's like, hey, okay, yeah, some fragile. We will fire our guns on you and start this. Like, no one wants to escalate anything because I don't think any side of the Chinese conflict wanted to bring the American Navy into it. The American mm-hmm. Navy doesn't want to escalate the situation to harm the economic interests that they have here in the colonies. Right. Yeah, the Chinese want them to leave because, uh, and they can't like attack them Yankees because they know home, they'll just sure. entrench them even more. Um, right. I, right. I get that, but they never connected those dots really in the movie. They just kind of expected you to assume a lot of that. Because I think a lot of it was like you're. This is a stand-in for Vietnamese uh, Vietnam era politics, right? Yeah, maybe like, I don't have the context for it. That like, who can you trust? Like, if you've got Chinese nationalists that you're relying on to 
work your ship? How can like what if one of them starts getting sympathetic to the communist cause or the nationalist cause? You know, mm-hmm. uh, and they did. They have like this, like the the boss of the laborers sent the engineer that Steve McQueen trains the, essentially to die. Like mm-hmm. I, did, I, I got the impression that he had sent them in there to die because he was jealous of them, or he was secretly sympathetic with the communists. Or I think the latter. The latter. Yeah. I think so, but again, it's hard to tell. I think the narrative is very fuzzy in this movie. But that's a that's a warning to any American foolish enough to like wade into this French colony and be like, "Oh, we're just going to stop him at the twenty eighth parallel or whatever." And you know, we can trust our we can trust our boys in Hanoi. They're gonna not they're gonna do right by us. And hmm. you know, if you've studied the Vietnam War at all, it's it's just a fucking tragedy of uh. Yeah, it's just a fucking tragedy. So I I think that like Americans watching this probably had a lot of feelings, and it's, it's, it's it comes mm-hmm. into wild things because like there's supposed to be this big sympathetic plot where Steve McQueen is teaching, um, po- Pohan, Pohan. Uh, you know he's teaching him to be the in- the new engineer, mm-hmm. uh, specialist, right? And it's supposed to be them becoming friends, like Steve McQueen coming to a grudging acceptance at this because he starts off with like, there's no way a, a Chinaman are too simple to understand these modern steam machines like their brains just can't handle it they're too primitive. And he finds this guy who can. But like, listener, when I tell you this is the most patronizing engineering lesson you're ever oh going to hear. That it, ne- it it comes across as mean-spirited. And, cr- and I kept on waiting for the montage of Steve McQueen to like this guy. But <laughs> This was it. You were watching it. Yeah. And it's like... And, like and, and when he's he, saying things like makey and takey. And like, it's so condescending. And, and, like, and that makes it volume. any easier to understand a language, right? No, D- yes. Altering your words to be more baby-like Be Be very nothing. pigeon. Yeah. 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 Yes, no, it's it's very it's, it's you, insulting is what it is. Yeah, and it's 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 impossible to, to to see that as anything but and and it culminates in a scene where this American soldier or this American sailor who's just this bully and he's you know yeah, trying ski. to save up the money so he can deflow it's just there's all kinds of gross stuff tied up into this 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 plot. But like the culmination of their friendship scene is this American guy kind of tries to bully this guy and Steve McQueen's like, you shouldn't take that. In fact, you should challenge him to a fight. And like, mm-hmm. it feels cruel that he's putting this like, what, five foot five dude that probably has got a hundred less pounds on this big strapping barrel chested guy. Mm-hmm. And he's just beating him for round after round after round. And then and Steve McQueen's like, no, no, he's getting tired. Keep letting him punch you. It's kind of like, and then somehow, uh, well, the guy Pohan is reluctant to wins. punch him, right? Like he doesn't want to hit him because this, like, this cultural, this whatever psychological barrier is there. He just doesn't want to hit the guy, right? Because you're Even not supposed Steve to hit McQueen, him. Just kick him. Keep saying some kind of cultural taboo against hitting them, and then like, but sudden, as soon as this little guy starts hitting the guy, he completely, I like, and then they were fast friends after that, and that that just didn't really make sense to me. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm not going to be able to explain much of anything in this movie to you because I don't think it makes a lot of sense. I think that fight scene is actually pretty bad, too. It's poorly filmed. Yeah. I, there's so much close-up work that I couldn't even really tell what was happening other than, I guess, the Pohan's getting beat. Like, 
pretty uh, badly. And then he wins at somehow somehow. Yeah. Uh, and then this like also again the the other thing that they do well is like the closer that Steve McQueen and Pohan get, the more animosity that they get from uh, both the American crew and the the laborers as well. Um, yeah, and I felt like they were setting up po pohan for a different type of fall so you know uh some bad fates befall him in this movie but i thought they were going to say like pohan's doing all this work on this american gunboat what is it for ultimately he's just getting his rice bowl for the day like Mm -hmm. he's not training on anything that would be useful because he's not actually like most of these people pohan may be the exception but most of them are not taught anything real they're just taught how to service this equipment right like change this part they don't know how it works just here turn this bolt uh fix this part screw it back on that's it right um and i just thought like what future is there in this ship for them because it's an american navy ship it's going to go away eventually uh at least you would hope it would go away eventually um, so it seems like very fleeting the opportunities presented here if there ever are any opportunities presented yeah. in that scenario no the the concept of the rice bowl and breaking one's rice bowl is like central because I think you're supposed to understand that like the rice bowl is something that applies ever like America has a rice sure. bowl the si- the sailors have rice bowls the Chinese nationals have rice bowls the communists have rice bowls and mm-hmm. you get to like the middle point of film it's like well someone's rice bowl is going to get broken yeah, because like as powerful as these gunboats are, we find out that they're they're really kind of like archaic and they weren't ever and like they're compromised because they're half crewed by, you know, Chinamen and they're uh, the, the all the important thing. It's not like it's, it's just cooks and barbers like they're the engineers. They're the people taking care of the weapons. There's all this stuff. Um, but like someone's someone's rice bowl is going to be taken over and when a nation of roughly a billion people like there's not there's not enough gunboats in the world to cow that mm-hmm. and there's like even a scene in the beginning where they've been running these border repel border drills as an effort to cow the the civilians of like mm-hmm. you know look at our powerful display of all these guys with their sh- and they're shooting steam and like it's it's some kind of mythical beast and like the town people see go to see it like a show yeah and they're like braving the steam just as like a way to like fun and mock and like it gives you this kind of like oh god this is a dangerous situation because of all these people just people decided are oblivious to, to the dangers yeah like if, if mm-hmm. everyone in this town just got up and decided no more there's there's no way you can repel that many borders so right. and the captain is so blinded by like displays of of power and and an image that he's trying to convey here to these people that he ignores that largely um and you can yeah. kind of extrapolate and say that we as a nation ignore it not just this one captain and the captain was interesting because he gives this kind of like old school conservative apology for colonialism where it's like mm-hmm. oh these damn bolsheviks with their lies and propaganda were handcuffed because we can't he got orders not to fire back but then they're you know, uh, this old trick of calling us foreign devils and saying we're an occupier <laughs> and we're exploiting That's them. their gunboat, like, man. Do you not get it? Like, what, you, you but, have but the gunboats. Like the, they can't the match The captain it, is saying so use, this. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, and like, the fact is, like, I'm sure some of it is propaganda and lies, but also their core truth is that, you know, Yankee Go Home has got a lot uh-huh. for it. 
you know that like and the, and no the one propaganda wants you or is needs you their there. weapon their their leverage to make you do that because they yeah. can't repel your gunboats yeah. and and your weapons yeah uh, but but they could all along. It's just that you've cowed them with with violence, then and things haven't got bad enough. And now the people are getting sure, pinched. Sure. I think you're supposed to end the political situation is the people are being pinched from both ends now. Mm-hmm. Like you know the warlords and the regional governments are screwing them. The colonial powers are screwing them. Uh, there's less and less work to go around. Um, so it's it's but like mm-hmm. yeah, I guys felt like the 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 American captain is just. Uh, He's essentially saying, why don't these people appreciate us for the stability and the money that we bring to them? And they never actually wait for a response. It's just they ask this rhetorical question, assume that it's like, well, it's because they're spoiled. They're acting like children. They're they're throwing their toys out of the pram. It's it's they never be like, oh, well, what? uh, Let's listen to what the Chinese people have to say. You know, why are you guys unhappy? It's like, oh, you guys are just fucking being hornswoggled by and manipulated. And if you really understood why we're here, you would kiss her ass and thank us. Yeah, that's the perspective of characters in this movie. I don't think it's the perspective of this movie, right? This is a decidedly anti-colonialist, anti-war, anti-power projection type of movie. Uh, But characters within it will have that perspective. But it also like even the characters that have the quote like are giving the like anti-colonial perspective are deeply compromised by their own individual racism. Sure. And, like <laughs> Steve right. McQueen is horribly racist towards Asian people. Uh-huh. And, and he doesn't really like and, and the thing is, is like he doesn't ever really go through a journey where it's like, oh, you know what? Chinese people are just like me. He's like, I found the exceptional Chinamen that could sure. understand the workings of live and dead steam. Not like, oh, I've underestimated this people. Like, mm-hmm. even to the very end, I don't think he appreciates that, even though I think you're supposed to like I think he's, you see a corpse at the end of like uh, Candace Bergen's star pupil, who she talks about as like this brilliant uh-huh. young mind. And he was with the Chinese nationalists, but then he's founded the communists that like the best and brightest of China are not following, you know, the side that is probably more friendly towards uh, collaborating with the the Western powers. Right. Like there's there's all this subtle commentary, but again, it's coming from people mm-hmm. who, um, the only one with a relatively modern perspective is Candace Bergen and her preacher friend, who are eschewing their American citizenships to stay. You know, they were part of the colonial system, but now they're I guess invited to stay by the Chinese themselves to continue their education work. But yeah, but they're, they they're get- the the. the, the- diplomacy angle of this right they're the people who are willing to work with you within your culture like meshing of the cultures whereas you know the the military here is trying to force it down the chinese throat they get murdered at the end so like what's well the they lesson? get murdered because of the actions of the military right like they may have had some bit of oh, safety right. there but the military's yes. actions caused them to be killed in the process be swept up yeah. with the rest of them as the bad guys yeah it's like we've convinced them that we're not on america's side that we have renounced our citizenship and we're just there out of altruism. but like now you send this gunboat to rescue us right and, and suddenly it we're now with looks again, like yeah. we're in bed with great satan here and yeah mm-hmm. yeah um, let's talk about that so the captain makes this unilateral decision ignoring the orders that he's given that he receives even though he claims you know, or radio's down. We can't receive them. Uh, he ignores those orders and goes north or, or wherever he goes. I don't know if it's north uh, to China Light to rescue these missionaries who don't want his his rescuing. But that comes on the heels 
of of a mutiny. And you're going to have to explain this entire scene to me because I don't understand any of it. I don't understand. Uh, so I get that the nationalists come out there and say, we want this guy for our propaganda reasons. Give us Holman. Uh, we're going to kill him. We're going to make him pay for this murder that he didn't commit, but we're saying he did. And the captain's not giving him up, but the crew wants to give him up because they view him as a source of a lot of their problems. So they start to mutiny. But then the captain somehow quells this thing, and I don't understand how. He, well, what happens is he fi- he orders his men to fire uh, some rounds across their bow, essentially. They won't do it. So he takes the gun himself and what looks like very reluctantly fires the shots himself. And then the yeah. crew sees that and just kind of backs down. And I don't understand it. I think it's because there's this moment where the, the captain like start, like I think pantomimes or maybe almost does out of frustration, but he starts to turn the gun, this, this big gun on his own crew and the crew kind of visibly recoils. Okay. And I think you're supposed to understand this is a microcosm of what's happening that like there again, this guy with a monopoly on force is able to cow an unwilling group of people into doing something against their own best interest. But it's a temporary thing. And he knows that he can only do this so many times before he's out of the before they'll realize, oh, there's a hell of a lot more than us than there are of us. And yeah, these officers all have pistols on their side and we don't. But like we outnumber them five to one. So I I think it's supposed to just be developing those themes of like, you cannot enforce a point of view by arms. You have to at some level convince the people to be on your side or allow them to make that choice themselves. You just can't, you just can't, you you can't maintain order through, through force (sighs) of arms alone. I think, boy, that's a, that is a, that's buried pretty deep. For my brain, I was not but also like you also like you. from I, I think also like um, the idea mutiny is a big deal because of these sure. these guys will probably at this era of the Navy still swing from the yard arms if they're put down and caught. And like once they do mutiny, even if they mutiny for perfectly valid reasons, where are they going to fucking go? Because sure. they go to any allied friendly port, they're going to be probably sunk on sight or taken prisoner and court-martialed and again executed so it was a big like it's one thing to be pal- like oh captain our guns are jammed wink wink we got a jonah here wink wink we don't want to mm-hmm. help why just give him up to like to them they're like why doesn't the captain make the obvious call here right but he's a slave to his him. duty he can't you know he's not as i guess corrupt as as, as they are okay that makes a certain amount of sense uh, but that boy, watching on... it, it was it was not it was not the easiest thing to to yeah. grasp in that moment. Yeah, that does dovetail into like one of my favorite parts of this movie is the continuity of the the tradition between the Age of Sail Navy and this uh, you know early uh, ironclad kind of navy um, that like. Again, I watched Master and Commander this weekend. Um, I showed my son it for the first time, and they deal with this concept of a Jonah. The fact that these, like, you know, the, the, this is a very old Navy tradition that some 
Uh, going back to the days of Jonah, that some people are just cursed by God or by fate or by the powers that be that the boat and the sea just doesn't like them and they're going to drag them all down. And like that, that is, you know, a hundred years had not beat that out. And it, it also transferred across navies like, you know, the American Navy is born out of the British Navy. So all their traditions, um, you know, <laughs> again, the boarding actions where they're using grapple hooks and they're strapping uh, hatchets and sabers to their side and the captain's going into battle with a saber and a pistol just like like it's yeah it, it just it, it's it's shocking how much the the navy as an institution because it's so conservative and it's so steeped in tradition just refuses to change mm-hmm. like you can change the entire propulsion system of a navy but they're still going to believe in Jonah's and jump to another deck screaming and yelling with a saber in their hand. It's, and I, I don't think that's still the case. Like, I, I don't think the modern Navy <laughs> has any like, sabers. Yeah. Still, still does that. But like, I bet there's still like, if you had some uh, old salty dogs, there's still a lot of like crazy fucking tradition and lore that they still get up to. Even I mean, with, with all with, like the dress uniforms stuff and stuff, they still have sabers. Sure, yes. yeah, they still wear that. Those crazy white. They don't go into battle with them, I'm sure, but like, no, yeah, no. yeah. So it's still I mean, even in this the... ship. You had the 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 dress uniform versus them getting into their work slops mm-hmm. and... <laughs> and those uh... terrible shorts. Yeah, the short. Oh god. Oh my god. Yeah, those guys drilling in the little the little cute white shorts. Like it just uh-huh. really destroys the whole. Really destroys the whole scene you're trying to set here, you know? I think it's especially cruel to put the black gang in an all-white uniform also. Mm. <laughs> especially, I love how, like, filthy that Steve McQueen got after, like, one day. Like, you, he started with a crisp uniform, and it's, like, the oil uh-huh. splashes. Just because, like, yeah, he did, it's like... It's like it's like if you worked inside a giant V8 engine mm-hmm. and that's kind of what you're doing. Like you totally. got cylinders the size that men can crawl down in and do it like, you know, do expose pistons and stuff. Yeah. And yeah, there's oil splashing or throwing around because you're in the engine sump pump. It's mm-hmm. I, that again. I, I just Super loved cool. I don't understand any of that. Um, you know, I'm more of an age of sale guy, but like you just seeing this, this one dude cranking this and cranking that to slowly stop an engine and release it pressure to... or yeah it's no it, it's a really cool fascinating like that steam propulsion stuff i think is neat and how like like all spit and polish it was too like i the you, you first board the san pablo and it's like everything's gleaming white and i noticed like all the brass was polished like all the railings down in the engineer and everything it's like it's worn mm-hmm. and serviceable but not dirty it's well maintained Mm-hmm. Um, and how like once the the workers uh stop you know pulled out of the boat and they started blockading it, how that boat slowly got worse and worse shape and it looks oh, like yeah. a garbage scow by the end of the movie. Yep. Uh, I did want to comment on the concept of a Jonah because it's a very superstitious thing, uh, and I found it ironic that they would kind of laugh at the Chinese for thinking there was some like ghost in the machine right in in this engine and yet at the same time they would think there was a curse uh, brought yes. on them by one of their crewmates that's yeah that's actually probably one of the on the face of it ironies that I, I didn't even get but yeah that's yeah. gotta be like look at all these stupid superstitions they think there's a ghost <laughs> in here and then the crew's whispering right. about a Jonah you know yeah silly uh, so let's talk a little bit more about um, 
the captain and his decision he makes after this attempted mutiny uh he's sitting in his cabin and i think he's contemplating suicide he's got the gun on the table he's distraught by you know the state of his crew and the state of the war the state of everything and and it's only by the grace of like plan red coming in and getting an order to uh I guess a system which he ignores. He ignores. This is the problem I have, or the question I have, I guess. He ignores this order to go to Shanghai and assist in the shelling, I think is what he's supposed to do. And he decides to go to China Light and save these missionaries, and I don't know why. I think, as I, I wrote in my notes, that the captain needed something to make this make sense, to be worth it. Because he also, I think... um they were stuck the, the, like because they were stuck besieged in this port by the locals because the water level had changed and they couldn't right. get down they were the waiting river for anymore. the season so they're right so they're, they they were stuck there but like yeah I think the captain wanted to redeem something of like honor and value like he didn't want to like just abandon his fellow countrymen to death and go and shell the city like you know that they had gone and done shore leave in and all this other stuff and he was looking for a way to like get around his orders and like the Ur order was protect American life right so Mm -hmm. if he can go up river and save these two missionaries then there's something that he's salvaging. You can see like when he gets there and he finds out that he's just made their situation worse and, and there's no circumstance they want to, you can see his desperation of like, my God, I fought through all this and we lost so many men and I did this just to do this and you don't even want it. Like he's like frantic about it, you know, cause mm-hmm. now nothing. And like that same, same thing kind of infects Steve McQueen, right? That like he was on the, a, yeah. Cause, cause he was on a cusp of mutinying too. Like he was going to desert and be their engineer at the, at uh-huh. China light at their little, uh, missionary thing. Um, but in the end he is like over like that, that line that he has about like, I was like so close. Uh, yeah. I mean his, so I don't, I don't fully understand that either, but his whole like character arc is, uh, disappointment after disappointment, right? He thinks he's going to come to this ship and because it's a small ship, He's going to be able to run the engines however he wants. It turns out that the Chinese yeah that smile when taken... he finds out he's finally the most senior engineer and he uh-huh. thinks he's going to run the thing, but actually he reports to this little China dude. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and so that's just like a disillusionment with the the idea that he had of both his role in the navy, but also himself um, and and his importance, I guess, and his autonomy. Uh, is a big thing about him that he values. And also the urge to like, we've got a good thing going here. Don't rock the boat. Like he sees yeah. that this, this is a, okay. Yeah, we don't have to do any work. And we can sit there and eat and we don't have to shave ourselves. But like, this is, this is dangerous. Mm-hmm. This is dangerous to like have this system in place. It's dangerous to us to stay. But like, no, but why, are you, why are you trying to break our ice bowls, man? Why can't right. you just go along and get along? Yeah, Why can't and you over participate the in a, movie, per- he's... a corrupt system just because it's made us all comfortable? Yeah, he's met with that over and over again, right? Um, and by the end, he, I guess, <laughs> I don't know. What do you make of the idea that he says, I was home? Does he think he's getting out of this situation? I Is think it... that he thought coming back i uh, i don't know that or does he mean on the boat 
does he mean like I was home on the boat? I was the engineer. I was the guy who was going to be able to do what I, what fulfilled me. See, I don't know because they what definitely the made happened? that like the whole the movie the is movie, what the hell happened. They say this the San Pablo's not much, but it's it's a it's a great home and a hell of a feeder. You right. know, so they they talked about that being home, but I think he's talking about the missionary, the mission and the missionaries that he had. Hmm. Candace Bergman like made an offer to like, there's a place for you. We need mm-hmm. someone that understands engines to teach these people to you know because they're all capable of learning. They're not you know you don't you, can't have, you don't need to find the one out of a million. Uh, China person to to uh, right. and and he I think was he going to accept that because that's yeah I'd, I'd need to watch this movie again I really I I I don't really want to I think so um, but then, like the idea the that he was I'm going staying. to yeah. yeah he was going to find a way to desert and get back up the river but then the siege happened and the everything fell apart and then he got framed for murder. And he's like through his captain wanting to follow his duty found his way back to this home. Mm-hmm. But it would already been it's it's already been ruined. Um, right. Even if he had like even if he had saved Candace Bergman, gotten her off the boat, and gotten in a country, the place the the one place on earth he might have fit in for the rest of his life mm-hmm. is is gone. And then I I guess I find it fitting that he dies leaned up against the the engines that he was so fond of um, to right. begin with. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Like I, I, I found myself wondering, you know, exactly what he was getting at there. But I suppose that makes sense. We'll be right back with more Bald Move after this brief pause. And now, back with more Bald Move. I really did like the the action sequences. I think that's like I was this movie. I cannot tell you how slow paced this movie is, and what really kills it mm-hmm. is uh, we've talked around the the romance between Candace Bergman and Steve McQueen um, is just really tacked on, and I think gets in the way of the dialogue because they have to make moon eyes at each other rather than her just being like as a professional. Hey, I can sense it. We're kindred spirits, and you want you're kind of like taken by this place and it's people at some level. Like, why don't you just like join the other side, you know, the side of humanity, not even the side of the Chinese nationalist communist or just like the side of like helping these people determine, you know, just help them as best we can. Just, just, you know, what Mm -hmm. do you need? We'll, we'll give it to you. Um, but boy, I was go, I was like two hours through this movie and I'm just like, man, I don't even know what I'm going to say. And in some mm. of the action sequences, I think I really, really like because, again, it was really nice to see this continuity of like this naval doctrine and tactics and whatnot. But also, I I, I get what Mark's saying here that I thought that they, the the fighting seemed very um, like desperate on both sides and they're setting up traps and they're doing this. And I first I was like, why are they even boarding? Like, why don't they just mm-hmm. smash? But apparently they couldn't. This is like, boom, it's just so big. They couldn't even get through it. So they they had to attack it. But I I, I, I like the hand to hand. I like the sword to sword. I like the ship to ship combat. You know, like this one ship, one massive ship versus all these little junks. I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah, it was. Um, And I, I think I mostly like the final uh, battle scene between... Steve McQueen and whatever uh, Chinese faction is attacking the mm-hmm. China Light. Yeah, he's kind of facility. He's, he's facility. like this 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 lone stand, this uh, 
final final stand against them the 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 buy the other team time and like to his amazement mm-hmm. like he just keeps on rolling natural sixes like he just keeps on winning every mm-hmm. individual skirmish engagement and like to the end is like oh my god he might actually escape and he gets shot he, he gets shot Which dead he was center coming, mass I mean, yeah i, I, I don't no know i was kind him. of like thinking that like maybe they were going to puss out and do the totally happy ending and i bet um, in 1966 it was a different feeling right like the hero was yeah. gets out the hero always lives but yeah and again it's like you know this is in the middle of the red scare and the cold war and this i mean it's, it's, even in 2023 reads as an obvious anti-war thing it must have really pissed mm-hmm. people off sure uh, i bet uh in, in contemporaneously in american culture i really love the the line i, I think the, the my favorite line in this entire movie is what jameson says as He's dying, I guess. He gets, he runs out there and gets shot. Um, or, or no, they shoot. The, the Cho Chojin gets killed, I think. And then he runs out in the middle of the courtyard and he's screaming like, you killed him. Uh, now they're going to come for me. Damn your flags. Damn all flags. It's too late in the world for flags. I, I think that's a, just a really beautiful line. Um just conveying this idea that flags are the thing that divides us, not unites us. Uh, and if we were to get rid of those things, we could actually come to some semblance of peace in the world. Uh, and, and I know it's not just flags that divide us, but it's a perfect symbology for it, right? The perfect stand well, it's interesting. Also, it's, it's like this birthing pains to get to something beyond what we are. Because, yeah. like, I think most people agree that, like, the modern concept of the state is, like, a natural evolution that society has to go through. Because that's a big improvement. Sure. Like, uh, there's something they... Uh, I haven't, boy, I haven't cited this in a while, but in the, the book about Sapiens, uh, the author makes a point about how, you know... Uh, as, as humans are really only hardwired to care about about a hundred people like in mm-hmm. your brain that's all like you can really hold like intimate regard like that's my tribe if someone hurts this person it's like they're hurting me and that's usually your family your extended family your village uh you're starting to get too big to hold but we mm-hmm. came up with the concept of flags and you know a symbology a, a, for larger a guy from alabama and a guy from new york city and a guy from Sa- uh, san francisco can all ship off into a foreign country and fight and warn what do they have in common what the fuck they barely speak the same language ah they got the stars and stripes on their shoulder mm-hmm. like this this concept of a, this meta concept of a state and these flags allowed us to form ever larger tribals and alliance and that goes down to like even you know, hopefully, like uh, uh, you, you get to see stuff like the European Union, the Pan African Alliance, the exactly. United Nations is a way mm-hmm. to kind of like, but but yeah, like this this, and it's always sad to hear people a hundred years ago saying stuff that I myself mourn of like, my God, it's too late for right. flags. Well, we're now mm-hmm. in a world where what one country does affects a country halfway across the globe in terms of radiation, in terms of climate change, and time, and like it's really too late for flags. Yeah, we're but 60 God years damn, on we, from that. You were still, we're still, we we still have to. Yeah, it's a full hundred years after the original events. It's sixty years after the fucking movie, and we're still, yeah, mm-hmm. we're we're still kind of like scratching in the dirt, trying to figure out how to trust us, trust each other enough to get to the next level. Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's probably you know we just have to evolve out of it. We have to create these larger organizations that can represent larger groups of people. 
create larger tribes uh, with yep. different. And there'll be three steps maybe backwards. Like you would call them social escape. technologies. Uh, yes. Yeah. We haven't quite grown those enough, and we'll probably take steps backwards as many as we take steps forwards. But one one day, one day we'll probably figure it out. Hopefully. Uh, what else do we have to talk about? Because we also have some more thoughts by Mark. Oh, I, I got to say, uh, the foulest mouth in the Navy sure doesn't curse much. I was so <laughs> underwhelmed by the foulest mouth in the Navy. Yeah. I didn't yeah. hear a single curse word from him, honestly. Probably some mm. slurs. Might have got a damn. Yeah, he certainly was definitely probably using a lot of uh, Asian slurs. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's 1960s. 1960s, <laughs> PG-rated 1960s film. Yeah, just came off as silly. Do you know why this movie is called The Sand Pebbles? It's a pun on San Pablo being this, the sand pebble, and then they are the collectively the sand pebbles. Apparently. The movie never yeah. makes that point, though. No, they do. Mm. There's like there's one line in the very beginning where Steve McQueen's joining the ship, when and the guy's showing him around. He mentions it. Yeah, Richard Attenborough says something about the the pebbles, but like they don't make the connection to the San Pablo. I don't think. I thought they did, but like I said, it's a three yeah, hour maybe. movie and it's one one line. Yeah, but it's a pun. It's a dad joke. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's uh, transition to back to Mark because he left us with a question about what we thought of Steve McQueen. What type of actor was he? Is he a movie star? Is he a character actor? Is he just more of a charismatic presence? And his his other thoughts kind of dovetail into that. So let's just take it again. This is Mark, the commissioner of the Sand Pebbles, saying one topic I'd appreciate you and Jim commenting on is the notion that there's a time in a person's life, life, usually their adolescence, when that person seems to imprint on a type of music, for example, for the rest of his or her life, and it's difficult to develop as much as an affinity for other genres. Similarly, it strikes me that the movie star who impacts you most during childhood or adolescence will be a person you favor thereafter, whose movies you will stick with forevermore, the person, as Bill Simmons would say, whose stock you are all in on. Even when their star fades or their movies diminish in quality, you still hang in there with them. If so, for me, that person included Steve McQueen. During the 1960s, his performances in The Dirty Dozen, The Magnificent Seven, The Great Escape, and especially The Sand Pebbles, left him on my all-time movie pedestal. His struggles throughout his upbringing, his abandonment and deprivation were devastating and shocking. I can't believe he survived, let alone became an international movie star. The struggles obviously informed his performances, as well as explained so many of his conflicts, professional and personal, throughout his life. Uh, Now, I'm ignorant of a lot of this... uh, Steve Mm -hmm. McQueen lore. Uh, I need to read more on it. He says, um, regarding my early reference to Steve McQueen's presence, I've always been struck by the way he acts with his body more so than other actors. His reputation apparently was that he commonly wanted to cut lines and say more with his expression. The Great Escape, when he knocks down a guard, he doesn't push him. He leaps as if performing a high jump and knocks the guard uh, with his side in the sand pebbles he doesn't walk down the stairs or the ladder on the ship but he slides down the railing his physicality has always impressed me so he kind of wonders like is there someone uh like steve mcqueen that we've glommed on to and what kind of actor steve mcqueen is oh i mean there are a bunch of them um but i, 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 I think it's think... also possible to to I don't think it's all formed in your youth. I I think of like Daniel Day-Lewis as like a counterexample of somebody that I've only recently Mm. come to appreciate and has really stuck in my mind as like 
a, a great actor, someone that who who I would give any movie a chance to see them. That's a good one because I I came to Daniel Day Lewis later in my life as well. Um, I think Steve McQueen's definitely like you call a quintessential movie star. Mm-hmm. Like Steve, the Steve McQueen I've seen in The Magnificent Seven and The Great Escape and Sand Pebbles have all been of a piece. I think this is probably of all of them the his but it's, it's the only star movie I've seen him in too. Like where he is the sole. This is an ensemble cast. Like there is an ensemble, but he is unquestionably the star of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and as and you, you get to see him do a lot, a lot more um, Steve McQueen type things. But yeah, I, that's like this. Steve McQueen is hired to be Steve McQueen because he's so fucking cool. He's one of those rare actors who like I think is appreciated by men, women, uh, old he's young. Like Harrison Ford type. I was that's who like really sticks out to me is Harrison Ford. And that's who I was going to name check as my Steve McQueen. Like yeah. Harrison Ford was Han Solo. He was Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had these big outsized uh, things when I was a very young man that stood out in my mind. And then like even when I was like I yeah, I remember like I would watch movies like Witness and like um, Air Force One. Well, not Air Force One because that's one one that actually delivered. But like I would watch oh, him in oh, these okay. movies gotcha. like uh, regarding Henry. Is that one of them? Uh, working girl, sure. Six where, days and, that, and seven nights, or whatever. <laughs> well, there's another good where I, I kept on waiting for the Han Solo magic, the Indiana Jones magic, and it's like uh-huh. that's not. And then going back as an adult and watching these movies, it disappointed me. Like, oh, actually, these are like witnesses, fucking rad. Uh, Blade Runner, Mosquito Coast is, not is amazing. Very... Blade Runner is yeah, it's not Han Solo, but right, it's right. cool in a different way. And that he is like, yeah, women fucking love him. Men want to be him. Uh, he is usually the same guy. Like the, the the most radical departure I can think of is like Mosquito Coast, where he plays this kind of probably closer to a Harrison Ford uh, asshole than he does in most of his movies. <laughs> but but he is like the Steve McQueen model that he is just like archetypally masculine, kind of does the same stuff in every movie he does. And he's mm-hmm. hired because he's Harrison Ford not because he's going to disappear into any kind of role. You don't want him to. He's Harrison Ford. Yeah, I think Tom Cruise is another one um, mm. who I don't have as much affinity for him as I do for Harrison Ford, but certainly he's that guy you hire because he's Tom Cruise, not because he can play a character in Edge of Tomorrow or whatever, right? What about Leonardo DiCaprio? Oh... Because he's kind yeah. of like the does both. Like you definitely hire him to be Leonardo Di, Leonardo DiCaprio, but he does mm-hmm. occasionally disappear into a role. All the time, I would argue. I mean, the, the times he doesn't is like Titanic and stuff like that. But those are the kind of things that put him on the map for me. Yeah. It, whereas like he disappears in Aviator. He disappears in Revenant. He disappears in yeah, Wolf of that, Wall yeah. Street. Like he becomes these different characters. I, I think, I think he is also, you're right. He, he's a hybrid, right? Because he, you hire him because he's Leonardo DiCaprio, but then he's also going to become a really good actor in the role. He's not just going to show up and be Leonardo DiCaprio. It's also willingness to burn your star image. Like I can't think uh-huh. of a, a, a hair where I've seen Harrison Ford play, uh, Ang- uh, ugly sloppy drunk 
or just someone in the throes of drug addiction or yeah whereas yeah. like i've seen leonardo dicaprio like literally shit and piss himself because he's so like 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 mm-hmm. that, or be this weirdo guy who's pissing in mason jars and wearing kleenex boxes on his feet like he is willing to tarnish that star image for the performance whereas like i think harrison mm-hmm. and probably steve mcqueen were but like i want a particular type of role and that's kind of what i'm after i want to I, I want something that showcases harrison ford i want something to showcase steve mcqueen that's not a bad thing but no, like no. leonardo DiCaprio is this weird kind of day walker that can do both he can be the leading man that is just leonardo DiCaprio, and he's showing up that's exactly what he wants and he can also do this weird you know, like Philip Seymour Hoffman character work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Harrison Ford is the closest analog I have. And I think McQueen has some range. I don't want to like sell him short. Uh, no, I, yeah. He's very different in this movie than he is in The Great Escape, for instance. You know, that's that's a lot yeah. more lighthearted of a movie and he reflects that in his acting. I would this have loved to see Steve McQueen in a more modern era because like, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, like Harrison Ford cut his teeth in the era of the, like New Hollywood. Yeah. And, you know, the the auteur era, um, they, you know, they, they weren't going for that back then. So mm-hmm. uh, he also, Mark continues, he has got another point he wants us to consider. Um, says, finally, I wonder if some of the dialogue struck you as it did me. Well, no one will put his friend out of his misery and the captain threatens to shoot McQueen. He yells, well, shoot something. A line I say to myself or out loud whenever I'm in a situation where no one is taking control <laughs> and nothing is getting done. Mm-hmm. When he's being pressured to allow Clip Clip to shave him and he's peers, see, that's that can't be that man's name. There's it's no way campy. the barber's Clip Clip. Uh, when he's being pressured to allow Clip Clip to shave him and his peers insist that that's his rice bowl, he gives in a bit. Well, I don't want to break anybody's rice bowl, which I repeat to myself whenever I'm trying to get along to get to get along. And of course, his final line, I was home. What the hell happened? Which I r- repeat whenever a situation I'm caught in blows apart. Perhaps you and Jim have your own lines of dialogue from your own favorite movies that stand out in your mind. Uh, um, yeah, that's just like your opinion, man, is a good one. <laughs> I say that sure. all the time. Sure. When I disagree with somebody. Uh, God, we like, man, we quoted, we had a Star Wars court for every occasion. Sure. Like, I can remember playing like tennis in our group and we were quoting uh, Star Wars quotes back then. Like, I, I know that uh, your your overconfidence is your weakness was continually <laughs> sure. quoted. Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of it was board game related because we played a lot of board games. So whenever yeah. like I, I was making a stand in a board game, I would say the line must be drawn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from first contact, of course. And it blew up in your face. You could always come back with you broke your little ships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, bald, bald move is an elaborate, like, through the looking glass Star Trek pun. Uh, but, uh, I, yeah, it's 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 um, it's funny because, like, me and Cecily do this all the time, but it's, like, always changing. Like, right now, um, ever since we saw season two of I Think You Should Leave, like, we quote that shit so much. Like, <laughs> I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about any of this. Like, that, that coffin flop. Like, there's so many individual <laughs> phrases from coffin flop that we're quoting uh-huh. all the time. Uh, yeah, I don't know about, about movies, though. Um, I feel like that was a much that was I was a young as a younger man version of me that would quote movies. Uh, hmm. Now you quote TV. 
could have something but to do I with your don't line even of work. do that like i'm I, I feel like i'm too alert i'm allergic to shtick like i don't know that we have like mm. name something that's become like a runaway thing in our friend group in the last 10 years like we have uh. them we have jokes but like it seems like they're they're jokes that last a weekend or a session and then we're on to something else it's not something it's like a touchstone sure is that a good thing or a bad but, thing uh, i don't know I don't, I don't know. I fuck. It's a thing. I think it's. Yeah. I think we can agree it's a thing. Uh, anyway, that's going to do it. I think for our coverage of Sand Pebbles, uh, Mark. Thank you for uh, trusting us with your favorite movie. I hope. I hope we haven't savaged it too bad. I, I hope, like the San uh, Pablo itself, it can be. It can be returned to spit and polish shine. And uh, I don't. I mean, the way you think you care about this movie, and again, I see everything that you're seeing in it. Like everything, and you mm-hmm. seem well aware of its flaws as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, at the end of the day, I just, I just, I just hope you enjoyed the podcast, man. And if you're uh, feeling bad about the podcast, just go to Rotten Tomatoes, look up the scores on this movie. That's the thing. This movie is it. is widely claimed. It is. He also asked us to um, postulate on why it's because it was like this big. It'd be like if Star Wars, 15 years after it came out, just no one even knew that. You know, I guess it, like uh, like Avatar until they made the sequel, right? Um, sure. I think it's a pretty obvious reason why this is its star has fallen, and because I think the modern audience is it's in it's incomprehensible. Like if someone didn't come and say this is made at the dawn of the Vietnam, like America's uh, in, getting embroiled in the Vietnam conflict, like I this a lot of this movie comes across pro colonialism, and like kind of pro like if you just watch yeah. it without the understanding of its underlying things, there's some things where it's like, boy, I don't know. And it's, it's, it's a, a time. It's a hundred years in our past where the geopolitical game has completely changed, completely different. And it's just, I think hard to identify with. If, if, if you made this again today, Steve McQueen wouldn't be quite as big a racist asshole sure. to Pohan. And I think it would be a lot. And, and yeah, you'd have to do something different with the romances and things and probably trim this thing back to about a two hour, 15 minute movie. But like, yeah, it's 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 rough going for people that don't have that background and immediate affection for it, I think. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, the, the most confounding thing about it to me is its lack of focus. And I can't tell if that's intentional or if that's just poor writing. Uh, mm. I think it's intentional and I want to say it's good and I just am not feeling it, but. I really couldn't tell you. Well, there you go. That's our thoughts of uh, the sand pebbles. Thanks again, Mark, for commissioning the podcast. If you want to t- uh, t- have us talk about two-ish hours of your favorite content, be it a television show, a, a movie, uh, a video game, uh, a piece of modern art, uh, a tone poem, I don't know what it could be, go to support.baldmove.com and check out Commission a Podcast for how you can commission your very own podcast uh, until the next one, until the next prestige movie or the next uh, uh, episode of Yellow Jackets, I am Aaron. And I'm Jim. And we'll see you then.